Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast, or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for plenty of inspiration, encouragement, motivation, and lots of entertainment. This is a big week in Ireland for a triathlon, with the return of Ironman Ireland and the first ever Ironman 70.3 in Cork, along with the first ever Iron Kids in Ireland. It's going to be a bumper festival weekend of swim, bike, run, and lots of fun. Over 4,000 athletes are registered to participate across the Ironman 70.3 and Ironman this Saturday and Sunday. So all roads lead to y'all for what is going to be a superb weekend of racing in the sunshine. A big change from the monsoon-like weather endured at the inaugural Ironman Ireland in 2019. I'm like a big kid this week, giddy and excited to get to y'all and to see everyone. That finish line is going to be awesome. If you are racing in Cork, be sure to find me and say hello over the weekend. If you missed the Ironman Ireland live webinar we held last week with race director John Walnut, Ironman Ireland 2019 champion Emma Billum and multiple national champion Hilary Hughes, you can check it out over on the Ironman Ireland socials. This past weekend, I was in Swansea at the inaugural Ironman 70.3 and wow, what a weekend we had. Sunshine, blue skies, warm welcome, huge crowds and a great course, which made for a superb race day. Alistair Brownlee and Kat Matthews took top honours, much to the excitement and delight of the immense crowd at the finish line, which was rocking all day long. Congratulations to all finishers. It was such a buzz being part of this inaugural event, and I think it's going to be a popular one over the coming years, so be sure to check it out. There's been some great results at the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, the Paratri Series in Swansea, and the Paracycling World Cup in Canada. It's kind of hard to keep track of all the action taking place at the moment. It's so great to see things back in full swing and to see some of our podcast guests continuing to make waves and take home the silverware in their respective sports. Speaking about making waves, Damien Brown is now over 50 days at sea, rowing home from New York to Galway on the Atlantic Ocean. What started out as a two-man effort unfortunately hit a roadblock a few weeks ago and he is rowing the remainder of the way home solo. Yes, solo. If you haven't been following his progress, be sure to check it out on Project Empower on the socials and you can catch up with all of his adventure on the Deep Roots podcast. Ger Prendergast also gets a shout out in this episode for his superb success at the Decca UK last month. Guest on the podcast from May of 2021, episode 54, go check it out. He became the first Irish person to complete a continuous Decca, to complete two Deccas and He also completed the longest triathlon by an Irish person and was the first Irish person to finish both a one-day DECA and a continuous DECA. Putting this into numbers, the continuous DECA saw him swim 38k, bike 1,800k and run 420k over nine and a half days continuous. Well done, Ger and support crew. That is some achievement. I'm sure some Nuasan CBD muscle gel would have come in handy for Ger's recovery. If you haven't checked out the Nuasan range, then be sure to do so on www.nuasan.com. Use the code TTS15 to get 15% discount on your purchase. Now to this week's episode, which features ultracyclist Patricia McGinley, who recently, pending ratification, set a World Ultra Cycling Association record for the first solo female to cycle from Mizzenhead to Malinhead, covering 980 kilometres in 30 hours and 36 minutes. 
taking up cycling and indeed ultra cycling in very recent years. She has completed the Joe Bar 200 twice and the TJB Coastal 330, as well as taking on the Wicklow 200. She took part in the Donegal Ultra 555 as part of a four-person team. No stranger to hills, hard cycling and long days in the saddle, despite only taking on her first solo ultra in 2018. Similar to the hills of Donegal, Patricia's training ground, her life before cycling was filled with massive ups and downs, but the biggest uphill battle for her was becoming sober and building a new life from the depths of depression and despair. In this episode, Patricia bravely shares some insight into her life, her resilience and courage shining through, the friendship, camaraderie and sense of purpose the whole new world of cycling has given her. It is no surprise that she simply loves being on her bike and part of such a supportive community. And in her own words, she says, cycling saved my life. This is a great episode. Now go grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. Patricia McGinley, welcome to Try Talking Sport. How are you? I'm actually really good. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> yes, uh, Patricia, you cycled your bike for almost 30 hours and 36 minutes over the weekend as the first female to attempt the World Ultra Cycling Association record of cycling from Mizzen to Malin in Ireland. Wow. Yeah, tough going. <laughs> tough going. Why is my first question? Just oh, always looking to just kind of go further, pushing yourself seeing where the body will go, where the mind will go. Um, just have to keep moving forward. What attracted you to this route in particular, to, to conquering the Mizzen to Malin route? Yeah, so Mizzen to Malin um, has been kind of on my bucket list, as I would call it, for the last um, maybe two to three years. Just that iconic um, route in Ireland that you know every cyclist probably wants to do or... Well, I especially wanted to do it. And I remember about three years ago writing down, you know, um, getting the map out and, you know, trying to figure out where will I, you know, what sections will I go and where will I go from to so far, so, so forth. And um, it's just as well I didn't follow that route because I'd still be on the road. But anyway, um, yeah, just always wanted to do it. Um, and then um, Joe Barr said to me about uh, a year and a half ago, why don't you attempt um, the Mizzen to Malin? Um, told me about the um, World Ultra Cycling Association and the um, Mizzen to Malin route that had never been set by any female. So that was me. The seed was planted and off we went. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. So how long were you actually cycling for the 598k? 27 hours. 27 hours. So it's the cumulative time from when you started at 12 o'clock until yeah. you finished yeah i'm mm -hmm. going to come back and talk about the adventure and the expedition that it was but before we do i suppose i just want to set the scene for our listeners as to who you are and where you've kind of come from i had the pleasure of being up in your neck of the woods uh, last weekend at a family wedding up in dunlow um in donegal so let's share your story with our audience so where did this interest in cycling come from uh, yeah, I was, I was sporty as a kid and then when I was 17 moved to London 
um, you know, just done all the usual mad stuff in London. Um, then I had a son, settled down, got married, and um, you know, the, the sport went out completely out the window. Like, you know, there was nothing. Might have went for the odd walk, you know, maybe thought about, you know, doing a 5k or whatever, like, but never really anything came of it. And um, busy just work and, you know, rearing my son and family life and um, just um, started drinking too much. And uh, one drink led to another drink, to another day, to a day, to a day, and the week just closed in. And um, yeah, just um, I'm a recovering alcoholic now and and recovery 10 years. And from from there, um, I, you know, I decided to come home to Donegal um, from London, just purely seeking help. You know, um, my family were all back from London, living in Ireland. Um, I was in London on my own and very much isolating, very much um, no purpose in life. You know, my son's growing up and, you know, the the drink is really taking its hold on me, real grasp on me. And um, so I decided to come home and try and get some help. And were you were you a functioning alcoholic? Like, were you still able to go about your daily tasks or was it literally you just thought about drinking from one end of the day to the other? Yeah, for the for the last I'll, I'll kind of go back just to the last 10 years of my drinking. So for the first six of those 10 years, um, I was a functioning alcoholic working, drinking uh, on a daily basis. But um, uh, continuously, you know, waking up in the morning, um, first thing I would, I would, I would rather get the bus to work than drive to work, purely because I could take a drink into my tea flask. And lunchtime was just go to the off license and, you know, get a, a quarter bottle of vodka. And that was my lunch. And, you know, couldn't wait then to get home from work and sit and relax with another little vodka. And, um, yeah, just... So I was, but still functioning, you know, and and even, you know, when I think back on that and how much I functioned and worked and, you know, um, it, it was a crazy way to live, crazy lifestyle, crazy, you know, just completely, totally alcoholic. And the worst part of that was not known, you know, and not knowing how to get help, not knowing where to go for help, not knowing where to, knowing that you had a drink problem, but just not knowing where to go or what to do about it, like, and not knowing that there was a solution out there. And that was, that was just almost as bad as being an alcoholic for me. And then, um, so I, um, the last four years, then um, I had a pretty rough year in 2008, uh, was made redundant. And, um, my father um, was ill and diagnosed with terminal cancer, so he'd only a couple of months to live. I came home from London in 2008 to help look after him. That was the only part of um, those three months that I was at home. I literally did try to control the drinking so much, but purely because he was so sick. And that, for me, then I, I really realised how much of a problem I had with drink because me trying to control the drink was again nearly as bad as you know being completely drunk like you know I just had an awful time trying to control the drink like you know um, and constantly looking for it and obsessing about it and thinking about it and again still not knowing that you were an alcoholic like you know so that was a, um, a rough period and then my father passed away in the August and I went back to London and when I went back to London the drinking just 
completely blew out of proportion. Um, continuous drinking on a daily basis, 24 hours a day. Um, wasn't working. There was a recession in London and there was no work. And just, um, yeah, um, life was hell, hell on earth for those four years. And um, in, in 2012, I decided to come home to um, try and get help. And, and, and that's how I ended up back in Donegal. How did you decide to come home or how did you suddenly recognise that you had a problem or did you know you had a problem? Well, no, not, not at that stage. My son was living in Australia and he had been out there for a year. And when he came home from Australia, you know, I was supposed to meet him at the airport and um, obviously I was too drunk to go to the airport. And he came in through the door and he just took one look at me and he just he just said to me, Mum, what are, what are you doing to yourself? What is what is happening to you? You know, so the shock of him kind of, you know, saying that to me. And um, that was the first time I might have, you know, may have broken down and said, you know, I have a problem with drink. And um, so he phoned my sister and then we went to the doctors in London. And the doctors in London then, um, basically, they thought it was just purely depression at that stage, like, you know, but I knew, I had known myself that, no, this is far deeper than depression and, and a lot worse than that, like, you know. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, I didn't find the answers that I was looking for, or at that stage, I didn't feel as if the, the help that I needed was going to be there. And that's what um, kind of made me, you know, it was my first like little glimpse of, you know, okay, I need to do something about this problem, you know, and that that was how it all started with my son coming through the door that day, you know, just taking one look at me, really overweight, big red face, big red nose, you know, probably about four stone overweight, you know, comparing to what I'd always been like eight and a half stone all my life and I was just completely blown up with alcohol. And yeah, that's that's where it all kind of that was the the beginning of the end, as I would say. Yeah, and the beginning of a new cycle. Pardon the pun. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Good one. Yeah, exactly. So um, came home in the February. I think it was February. It's kind of over and back. Maybe you know, taking stuff over and back, and uh, you know, just from February to April, and I was still drinking my family through her horrendous time you know my mum just didn't know what to do with me or you know she didn't know what was wrong with me I remember her saying to me Patricia what is wrong with you and it was more the way she said it than you know and how she said it than you know it wasn't no tone of giving out or anything like that but just a problem here and nobody knowing what to do about it like you know and you know my attitude at that stage was still I just need a drink. I just want another drink. And I continued drinking until I kind of got to the jumping off point. <laughs> and that's hell on earth again. You know, when you're there and you can't see any other way out and, you know, you're thinking that the only way is out is, is actually taking, you know, your, your own life um, and, and going to that point you know, you're in a, you're at your rock bottom and you're in a pretty bad place, like, and going from there then to, um, you know, within a week, um, 
I'd, um, I'd went to take my own life. I had a plan in place, went to do it, had a blackout, um, crashed the car, came home. And um, the next morning when I woke up, I went straight to the car, no keys, no money. Um, you know, my, my family taking that all off me. And um, I went over to my sister's and asked her for the um, the keys of the car. And she says, have you, re- do you realise what you've done to the car? And um, at that stage, I hadn't a clue. It was a complete blackout. And um, I still was in desperate need of a drink. Like, you know, I hopped on an old bike that was at home and cycled 2K to the shop to um, buy a bottle of vodka. And um, I got the car back. I don't know how I got the car back or the keys back. Got the keys back, got the car back. And the drinking continued for another week. And again, at another jumping off point and, you know, plan in place. And um, from there, uh, I, I just, you know, call it a, uh, you know, for the through the grace of God, I went up home and I went into the kitchen, my mum and my sister's in the kitchen, and I just said, I need help. And it was just, it was just that fast. Um, I I just blurted out the words. Before I knew it, we were at the doctor's and in Letterkenny Hospital. And I was on drips and my heart was, I was having heart palpitations, you know, I just wouldn't have lasted much longer, like, you know. So I was detoxed in hospital and um, from there um, I got into um, St. Junior's Court. It's like um, a kind of a, a clinic, but it's a, it's a day release centre for alcoholics. And, um, you know, it was Monday, Wednesday and Friday. So I'm still at home, but I travel out Monday, Wednesday and Friday and I'm doing good and I'm starting to get sober. You know, I have the drink down, but um, I still have all the cravings and the obsessions and everything else that goes what they being an alcoholic like, you know, um, even though the, the, the lid's put on the bottle as such, but everything else isn't dealt with. There's nothing dealt with like, you know, so um, just literally the lid's put in the bottle, but I'm sober. And, um, and somehow um I must, you know, I am. I'm talking oh, complete brain fog, um, really dark place, um, not thinking straight. You know, diagnosed with any clinical depression, not eating, not sleeping, you know, um, not functioning, um, just very bad place again. Uh, but I'm still sober at this stage, so I'm thinking on one hand, life is good. And on the other hand, I'm still an emotional, physical, mental mess. And but I'm still sober. <laughs> From there, um, what the depression, I really had to work on the depression side of things too. And I have to say, um, you know, I um my psychiatrist at the time was very good to me and very helpful. And basically he was, it was so simple. He drew um, one line on one side of the sheet and drew another line on the other side of the sheet. He drew a line across the middle, drew a line down the middle and basically told me that I had to fight my alcoholism on one side, my depression on the other side and meet with both in the middle. That one 
wouldn't work without the other. I had to basically fight the two of them at the same time. So I have been given that piece of advice and it worked for me. And, and it's worked to this day. Um, thank God. How long ago was that, Patricia? That's 10 years. We, I, I'm 10 years in recovery now, so it's probably all in all um, eight years. You know, um, I was probably about two years after I got sober. It wasn't an easy process getting sober, just, you know, put it like that. How did cycling come into your life then? From the depression sort of side of things, I get into yoga. And I'm going to yoga um, three and four nights a week, you know, and I'm, I'm loving yoga. So um, at this stage, I have um, A, I'm going to three or four meetings and I'm doing yoga three or four times a week. So that's my life and that's my purpose. And, but that's all I had. And it just didn't feel quite enough. But the yoga finished in, um, in, in the May, as it does for the break for the summertime. And again, my sister says to me, um, probably seeing that this could be a slippery slope back the way, um, saying to me, say, you know, what are you going to do now to fill those evenings that you've been at yoga? Why don't you come out for a cycle with me? And we go out for a cycle. It's, um, I think it's a Thursday evening. I'll have a small group of um, um, a little club member, that's our club that we used to have here, the um, Annagree Barstool Wheelers. Crazy name for, you know, an alcoholic. But anyway, um, yeah, we've got, I go out along with them um, one evening and that was it. You that found a it. new purpose. Found a purpose. Found another, yeah, just found something that, um, you know, the the peace and the quiet, you know, um, I could go on my own. Um, cycling, as they say, is quite a lonely sport in one sense, but, you know, I did, I found peace in it and, you know, I, I, I just loved it. Just loved it. Lots of people talk about, you know, with cycling, there's that sense of freedom and that sense of adventure and kind of yeah. being able to just let loose. I know yes. you say it's kind of a lonely sport when you're on your own, but actually it can be quite meditative. Um, when you get into it and you're just at one with nature and your bike. And exactly. And that's a good, precisely what happened to me. Um, you know, just, just looking around, just seeing the beauty that is around you, you know, and um, kind of being connected in that sense. And yeah, I did call it um, a, a kind of a lonely sport because, you know, I would have been on my own quite a lot, but then... Um, you know, um, through that little group, I formed friendships with them and um, ended up out in Mallorca, another completely mad story. Um, I'm, I'm not even cycling seven months at this stage and I'm out in Mallorca, you know, cycling up Sacra Labra and thinking, how did I get here? You know, it's just, it was, it was mind-blowing and um, just the love I had for it then. You know, um, thinking this is so good for me, you know, and and the friendships then, you know, that I made, you know, that through that small group um, and and that holiday, and and I have to say, and all what blew me away too was every other cycler that I met on that holiday, you know, complete strangers, be it at a coffee shop, having having a coffee and cake, or just passing them on the road a wave and you know just hello and where have you been today just you know a connection then with what people 
that I'd never had like and that blew me away too. I have written down here the word connection connection and community and that's what I was going to say to you was that a huge part of the whole thing was connecting with people you've yeah. been you know pretty much um on your own for the guts of of 10 years with the bottle as your friend <laughs> and, and and now you were having this personal and social interaction and building a community of of support around you even if they were strangers it was exactly. just like Precisely. that was giving you hope yeah and and just as you say hope you know every day you went out you were just getting um you know a glimmer of hope and you know just seeing you know you're in Mallorca what a group of 10 people thinking from as you say coming from that place of complete isolation loneliness you know thinking that you hadn't a friend in the world um, and then going from there to as you say, complete strangers saying hello to you. And that blew my mind away too. You know, just that small thing blew my mind away too. So. And then I have to ask you, who convinced you to uh, to go ultra cycling? Because it's one thing to start taking up cycling as a hobby and to go off to Mallorca and have a bit of crack. We all do at Mallorca. I think you were in Lanzarote as well last year, you know, in November. How do you suddenly go from being a leisure cyclist and just enjoying this for, for the freedom and the fun that it gives you to suddenly being like, actually, I want to go do the Joe Bar 200 or the TJB 300 and then suddenly oh actually let's try like the longest cycle in Ireland from Mizzenhead to Malinhead where yeah. does it all come from yeah so again it's, it's just that um, kind of connection again with people and you know so I come back from Mallorca and I'm still doing my 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 cycles I'm doing 30ks 50ks I'm out quite often because I'm enjoying it and um, I see a lot of them um, you know locals on the road and things like that at the time you know I wouldn't have say I would have known him really well, but you know, um, I knew he was. Uh, his name was Kenny Gillespie. I had known his wife, and um, yeah, I, I Kenny had just done a Joe Bar two hundred, and I'm looking and learning and and you know learning all about um, cycling. You know, somebody said to me the word cadence. I hadn't a clue what it meant. Like you know, and I've seen this word called century, and that kind of was like, what's that about? Like you know. I read about it, so I said, oh, I'd like to do that. And this is the kind of person I am. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid of challenges, like, you know, but anyway, so I go to Kenny and I say to Kenny, yeah, do you know, you've just done Joe Bar, congratulations, and I would love to give that a go. Do you think I'd be fit to attempt it next year? And Kenny was a key part, um, and as I would call it, in my recovery or me getting more into cycling because his first word was yes. And that's what I needed to hear. You know, that positivity, that, um, again, that a connection with people, but the positivity. And, you know, he, the, that Joe Bar had just finished, so I had a full year to train for the next one. So I came home and I said to my sisters, I'm doing the Joe Bar next year. And that was it. Did they think you were correct? Exactly. So I got a lot of strange looks and I kind of got, um, oh, okay. And one of my sisters went, right, that's grand. Again, that positivity, which I needed badly. But um, so about 10 minutes later, I went out to make a cup of tea and she came out and she went, are you serious about doing this um, Joe Bar? And I went, yeah, I'm doing it. And, and she went, well, if you're doing it, you're going to do it properly and you're going to train for it and we're going to help you. And that was it. So I started training for the Joe Bar 200. I think that was in 2018. And um, 
Yeah, from 2018, getting out to the start line at Joe Barr, and now you're talking about this wreck of a person who's trying to come out of her shell, who just is, uh, how do you describe it? Like, I'm good days, bad days, you know, um, the good days are great, the bad days are bad, and, you know, this. I have the cycling, I have still got the yoga, and, you know, and I'm on the start line with Joe Barr, and I am I'm probably taking anxiety attacks at this stage, um, and how I didn't take one, um, probably because the two girls were there along with me, um, just, and then I met uh, Gillian, and um, the friendliness, um, just, again, that connection with people, I suppose, and got through the scrutiny, and the next day then, woke up in the morning for the, I think my start time was seven o'clock in the morning, and whatever time I got up at, Storm Hannah was there, and oh my God, it was like, you know, it wasn't down to me um, whether I was going to cycle it or not. The, the race was literally nearly called off. And then they decided that they were going, there was a delay in the race for the for the storm to see what it calmed down a little. And um, yeah, so I think we, there was a, an hour's delay in the race and we started then at, um, I think it was eight. I had a start time then of eight. And that was me, pedal through Storm Hannah, you know, um, and uh, took me a long time. The Lantern Rouge, as uh, Jill calls me, <laughs> uh, endured the most, uh, you know, but I finished it. And there was a girl there, you know, so I, I, I met another cyclist, um, Linda O'Brien, and met her and she waited for me. You know, she's come first and she's waited over two hours for me and cheered me over the line and just, you know, the applause you get when you land home and you know it's your first big one and you're just thinking wow loved it loved every minute of it in a storm what wow. <laughs> <But> crackers <laughs> have to be <laughs> so yeah um and then you know you get home then and you get your recovery done and you're thinking okay I've done it in a storm I'm going to try it again next year um Please God, the weather will be better and I can maybe better my time. And that was it, you know. So the aim of the second Joe Bar was purely just to see could I better my time. You know, still the same distance, still the 200. And um, because of the storm, I thought maybe I could, you know, better my time. And then again, um, same sort of process, meeting, say, uh, meeting, you know, all the rest of the cyclists, true scrutiny, people saying hello to you, you know, just complete strangers coming up and saying hello to you. Just was amazing, fabulous, you know. Um, and then um, there was Denise Malloy and Kelly Farr. I remember talking to Kelly um, just before the race and she was saying to me, you done it last year, um, any tips, any advice? So just told her the little bit I knew about it, like, you know, where to try and be cautious and, you know, where to let rip and, you know, things like that. And um, became friends with Kelly then on Strava. And, you know, again, a whole new world, you know, for, for me. And yeah, bettered my time and, and again, loved it. So the following year, then I'm thinking, I just happened to look at, you know, the three different races and um, the 330 is there. And, um, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, that is the whole perimeter of Donegal. It cycles, uh, you pass Mullet off, my home, 
you know, where I was born and bred, my, you know, my, my playground, my stomping ground. The timing station is literally a pub that my sister owns down the road. And I'm just thinking, I have to do this. This is just, you know, I, I this is this is the one, you know. And I'm of course I'm full of self-doubt and it's a big jump. And you know, I'm thinking, oh, have I it in me? You know, my fuel at that stage was my fuel and strategy was horrendous. Um, purely kind of from the, the depression side of things, like, you know, I wasn't a great eater and things like that. So then I took Gillian Winnie on board as a, I asked her, would she help me out with nutrition? Of course, she said, yeah. And from there, just a completely new me through food. You know, um, I have to say just that, that again was just mind blowing for me. Like, you know, from someone that didn't eat to someone now eating five meals a day. I've never felt hungry in my life, I have to say that, to what in three weeks, my body looking for food um, at you know specific times of the day, wondering like, why am I not being fed? Just, I, I you know, you can, and it's, it's so true, you can only call it like your body is awakening and it's looking for um, energy and nutrition and fuel and that, that whole side of things kind of blew my mind too. When I asked her to, you know, help me out with the food, she asked me how I got through the, the previous 200s. And literally, so I told her it was on smoothies. So my first 200s were, I had about maybe 20 odd smoothies with me. <laughs> she just, you know, you know, you can imagine um, a nutritionist and she's listening to this and um She's saying, no, you got through it with tranness. <laughs> with which? Tranness. <laughs> I was so tran, just wouldn't give up, you know. And um, yeah, so anyway, I've taken her on board. And um, I have a friend, um, Jim, who I met in Mallorca. And his son is a coach, Sean. Uh, Sean has given me a training plan. And I start training for the 3.30. And that's me. First 3.30 is in the bag. And I think yeah. you were the only female rider in the 3.30. Yeah, again, crackers. <laughs> yeah, I was the only 3.30. And, and and that didn't put me up or down, you know. Mm. It's, it's, again, the love of cycling. You know, just that freedom. And, you know, I kind of, my whole um, attitude on that 3.30 was purely just to finish it. You know, to cycle the perimeter of Donegal, my home county, and just to finish it. No time, no speed, no nothing. It was a bit like coming full circle, the fact that the connection with Donegal was so close to home. He had looked back 10 years previous, you know, it was such a different situation, a completely different person, completely different life. Yeah, yeah, just it's it's almost like, you know, living two different lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, that's that's my whole just cycling on a goal it was just oh I mean I just I can't I can't just it's very hard to describe like you know it's very flipping hilly oh it is <laughs> there's hills and more hills and just more hills yes uh-huh. yeah it is very hilly You've also done the Wicklow 200, haven't you? And and you were part of a team for the Donegal Ultra, if I'm not mistaken. I was. Um, we done the um, 555 as um, a, a team of four of us. So there was me and my, my two sisters and a friend of mine, um, Alan, from uh, England, from Newcastle. He came over to do it. 
and I think we frightened the life out of Alan with the hills, but <laughs> yeah, um, we've done um, the Wicklow 200, yeah. So you yeah. must like the hills then? I do, I, I'm not much good on the flats. <laughs> I do. I love a hill. I love a hill climb. Um, and I think I, I found that out in Mallorca um, when I when I done Sacra Labra. And, you know, I thought, oh, God, this I just I loved it. And I do like a hill and you can't escape them in Donegal. Like, you know, so. Absolutely yeah. not. Now, before yeah. we talk about Mizzen to Malin, I just want to ask you, um, you mentioned at the start when you were talking about the the time you were drinking that the kind of the traits that were there were that you were obsessive over, you know, what you were doing. Have some of those spilled into the cycling? Do you get obsessive about the food and the cycling now or are you able to manage that? That is that part of you hidden I, away now and, and gone? I, w- I would say you now um, there, there's still a, a lot of that trait in me, like, you know, and um, I'm kind of one of those people that once I'm focused, I'm sort of focused and not, you can't, I can't see nothing sort of coming in from the left or the right. And yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit like that. And, you know, I suppose in one sense, it was good to, um, you know, maybe for, for the endurance side of things and to actually literally stay on the bike, like, you know, um, even just for the for the training, you know, you, you you focus on your training, you know, you have to do it. You know, you know, you're not going to cycle any of these events or finish them if you don't put in the, the work like, you know, not saying it, it is hard work. Um, and again, um, I would probably have that of um, a bit, bit of an um, addictive kind of personality trait like, you know, and um, yeah, you know, if I like something, I suppose, good or bad. Yeah, that's just me. Coming back to the Mizzen to Malin, how did you train for the event? What were you doing? What sort of sessions? And then how did you fuel those sessions? Obviously, when you're doing a lot of long distance endurance stuff, you need to get the fuel into your property. Mm-hmm. The training plan, um, I had a training, Sean Galler was my coach. And um, yeah, Sean gave me the training plans. And literally, I was doing um, two shorter hits in, in, in the week one hours, um, maybe uh, cadence and one maybe strength and endurance. And then I was doing two long ones at the weekend, three to four hours um, on a Saturday and maybe four to five hours on a Sunday and staying in, in zone two. Everything as much as possible apart from the hits. Yeah, I had one long, longer ride on, on a midweek on a Wednesday, but all zone two, everything zone two, purely because you're not using every ounce of energy in your body. You know, and that you're not going to burn out. And then your 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 my two head sessions, like um, so that was basically my training plan. And of course, then um, as the time would get nearer to to the race or whatever um, the event, you would up the weekend cycles, like from three to four hours, four to five hours, five to six hours. Didn't go over sort of six hours, um, because um. Basically, he's sort of he's he knows that I can stay on the bike from my previous two hundreds and and the three hundred, and um, that I can um, literally and mentally focus to stay on the bike. But um, it's fuel in the body and keeping enough um, preserves in the body and enough carbs in the body that um, and I'm not burnt out from on Saturday cycle that I can carry enough over for the Sunday cycle. And that was my training plan. It worked for me. Yeah. And then the fuel, I had Jillian and I had an on on off bike um, nutrition plan. It took me a while, I have to say. Um, We'd actually given ourselves two months to try and waken up the body. 
Um, because like I say, I'd never felt hunger in my life, didn't know what, what that feeling was. And then all of a sudden, one day just going, you know, my body's looking for food and I'm, I'm, I'm going, oh my God, what's this? You know, I thought, what's this feeling? It's a completely new feeling to me. In the beginning, it took a lot for me to actually digest the food, you know, to put the food into my mouth and digest it like, you know. But, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like breaking an old bad habit, you know, just learning over again. Like, I suppose that's, it's that learn, unlearn, relearn. And, you know, and that's what that's what I had to do. What yeah. sort of foods were you eating then when you were training? Were you eating on the bike all the time as well? No, you see, I'd never done that either. Um, and, and it's something I'm just now starting to work on, like, you know, because I would come off the bike and just literally have a can of Coke and a Mars bar or, you know, I was like going back now then to eating properly. So, um, you know, starting in the mor- morning and, you know, just getting the, the oats into it, the, the porridge into it. Um, because I was such a bad eater, eating small and frequent. And um, so I would eat my breakfast then by sort of half 10, 11, I was eating um, a boiled egg with a bagel. And then my lunch was basically, you know, chicken, um, rice, then going to a midday snack and your dinner and then an evening snack. And for me in the first, say, month, that was like, oh, my God, horrendous amount of food altogether. Like, you know, um, what I would have ate for the first half of the day would have done me for three days beforehand. (laughs) That was a whole new ballgame for me altogether, like, you know. But again, to get your head around that. Very. Yeah. You know, you're going from like my lowest weight was I was six and a half stone and um, not a muscle on me, you know, just skin and bone. I I, I just I, I can't imagine what Gillian and Joe and, you know, the the rest of the team there when they've seen me pulling up the first day at the car park thinking where on earth is she going like you know or what does she think she's going to do like I just can't picture what they would have thought like but you know a few years later and yeah I'm, I'm thinking of doing Ms. and Tamalin. <laughs> so talk to me about Ms. and Tamalin. I know you had some low lights in the sense of you came off the bike in Tipperary on a railway crossing um, and there was a chance that maybe you wouldn't be able to get on the bike but you had a quick check over, you had the bike checked over and you got back on it and completed it. So I imagine that was one of the low lights maybe of the trip for you. Was there any other point where it was really difficult or that you might have considered giving up or was that even an option? No, never an option. Never an option. I mean, even when I was on the ground, I was very dazed. I was um, in a little bit of shock, I suppose. And, you know, um, whatever way my, my um, knee was sort of, turned out the way or it looked as if it turned was turned out the way you know my son saying to me mom you know I think this is over for you you know we were, they were I think one of them was about to call 999 and um and I'm going but you know suppose that's the, the shock of it like I don't feel hurt I'm grand you know I'm just pay up and I'll be fine and um so I I'm fine and um, move one arm move second arm move move each leg get back on the bike and away it will again yeah so and you have a fine shiner the cheekbone took a lovely shiner <laughs> yeah um, but look at these things happen you know it, it wasn't I mean I wasn't hurt I was I was more in shock and it wasn't enough for me not to 
carry on, you know. And you had horrendous weather as well, which couldn't oh. have been any more difficult, really. You know, you think of Storm yeah. Hannah, but then you actually had horrendous rain and wind and just conditions. We got up to Mizzen and it was raining. But at that, that stage, it was just like a sort of fine, misty rain, like, you know, that mizzle, that drizzle, you know, and I thought, oh, this, this is fine. Like, you know, it's warm. It's, you know, apart from the rain, it's warm. The temperature's good. And I'm thinking to myself, OK, the rain the rain will be off in an hour and, you know, I'll, I'll be fine. And it rained and it rained and it rained and it rained. And I think it rained for over 18 hours continuously. The the rain, and, and it's, I have to say just the rain, and thank God, because the temperatures were high. If the temperatures had been any lower, there's probably no physical way I would have been fit to finish the, the, the race. And what was your cycling strategy for breaking down the 598k? Was it literally get on your bike and cycle for as long as possible? Or had you planned stops and breaks? No, I my I checked the weather. I had I had my um, like I said earlier. I'm trying to work on staying on the bike. So literally had I think I had um, one night set of clothes and two day set of clothes, um, and that that was kind of emergencies. As far as I was concerned, I wasn't changing. If I had to for nighttime, that was it. Um, looking back now. Um, emergency clothes I hadn't enough emergency clothes or or Irish weather you know didn't predict that you know that it would be that bad so anyway um no my, my main goal at that stage was I'm, I'm getting on the bike I'm eating on the bike and I'm not getting off the bike literally until I need a pee and that's it and when I need a pee I am going to do everything else that's required um, when I when I have the pee and that was my plan and um, the way I get through it is I sort of break it down into stages like and at the stage I had it broke down like you know from bigger stages as first I always break it down into kind of a half and then a quarter and then 100k 50k 25 and I have to take it back to 10k if I have to take it back to 10k and that's exactly what I had to do I had to break it down to from town to town purely because of the rain and the first 300k were absolutely amazing cycling in the rain and I was buzzing you know just probably like a child out playing in the rain like you know and loving every minute of it even though it's it's torrential rain and I'm thinking sure well sure I'm wet now there's no point changing I'll be wet again within five minutes and yeah I I, I keep cycling and um, then I had to fall so when I had to fall I um okay I'm changing now and you know, I'm getting into, it's, it's nighttime, I'm getting into my nighttime gear anyway, and that whole process of, you know, changing clothes. But it was then that I realised just how cold I was. You know, I'm, I'm wet, I'm soaked for 14 hours. The, the fingers are numb and the gears are hard to change, the feet's getting numb and things like that. And you literally get, you know, you've had the fall, I've had the shock, and get on the, the, the clean clothes and the dry clothes and... You get that, oh, my God, that lovely sense of feeling, that warm, cuddly feeling. And um, I thought, oh, my God, this is heaven. And literally just get back on the bike. And that keeps me going then for the next amount of hours, you know. But within 10 minutes, literally drenched again. And, like, it's almost, you know, you're thinking, have you got no good cycling clothes? Yeah, I do. But it's literally coming off the ground and it's soaking me from the feet up. 
Um, so when it's raining in Ireland, it's raining in Ireland. And, that's and did it. you sleep at all over the 30 hours? I had 10 minutes. 10 minutes? Yes. I had 10 minutes in, um, in a skill. So I get, um, I had a hard old time of it from at loan, from that section, from at loan to in a skill. It's nighttime hours. I'm soaked. Um, I'm, I'm literally drained now with the rain. It's, you know, you're, you're sort of thinking to yourself, oh, this, if I make it, I am going to be so lucky, you know. Um, you're all, you, you feel like you're climbing Everest. Um, and that, you know, it's, <laughs> I've had to go out and do it today. It's probably a flat road, like, you know, but it, it was a, tough section I have to say from a low tennis gun. So when I get tennis gun, um, we decide to change clothes and um, hot food, tea, sandwich, just a complete kind of overhaul. And then I said, I think I'll take 10 minutes. I, I would rather kind of sort of say, I, I'd not waste the 10 minutes. I thought the 10 minutes would be more beneficial to me. I thought I would maybe, it would maybe give me some energy back to carry on to get from Enniskillen to, to Malm. And so I took 10 minutes, complete shot eye. Yeah. And did you actually sleep? No. <laughs> no, but you're, you kind of, you know, um, I kind of went to a meditative state and, you know, that probably it does me maybe even better than sleeping. Like, you know, I, yeah. the head is sort of, you know, you're really, um, I'm, I'm, in, I'm as deep as a sleep as, um, you know, I'm, I'm nearly there. Yeah. But, well, and what were the crew doing then to try and keep you motivated, you know, between that section from Athlone to Enniskillen, keep you awake, keep you moving forward? Uh, do you know what? Uh, the crew just are completely amazing. Like, you know, um, between singing, shouting, roaring, laughing, just the G on, you know, it's just, there's never a dull moment with them. Never a dull moment. And... Yeah, I have to say, um, there's a lot of singing that, that gets done. <laughs> trying to sing. <laughs> We're trying to sing, yeah. And if you were to pick a couple of highlights from the Mizzen to Malin spin, um, what would they be? Oh, obviously getting finished. Um, the main one, uh, highlights, you don't know what there, there was. There was some, I couldn't tell them. There was a lot to do with P-stops. There was um, some brilliant laughs, like, you know, um, just what happens kind of on the, you know, that length of distance, like, you know, over that, over 30 hours, like, you know, don't get me wrong, there's, it's a lot, there's a lot of um, low points and, you know, um, never thinking to yourself that you're not going to finish, like, you know, um, but just grinding and pushing on, you know, and um, yeah, it's, it's tough then on the body, like, you know, you're sore, you're, you're aching, you, you're, you're just looking for the finish line at that stage. And um, yeah, thank God it came. <laughs> Would you do it again? Of course. <laughs> oh, I wasn't actually, expecting that answer. I, you see, that's me, you know, and that's, you know, I get off the bike and I say, don't ever let me see a bike again. But it's Thursday today. I know by Wednesday, I'm 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 always right and back and you know as I would say, my my head right. But um, you know, the, 
I'll, I'll start thinking, you know, within a week, I can guarantee you within a week, I'll be looking at those times and splits and things like this in the fall and I'll take everything into consideration. And my next one will be, I'll say to myself was, I can, I could try and better that time. Yeah, I can try and better that time. And um, so that's why I wouldn't say, no, I wouldn't do it again. And have you been on the bike since the weekend? No, no, <laughs> no, not, no, not yet. The, the body is great. Um, I, that's probably why I can answer the question the way I'm answering it. Um, I'm very, very surprised at how well I actually am feeling. You know, um, like I say, Monday, I was very sore, very tight. Done a lot of yoga since. Um, been to the tide. Um, a lot of hot baths. Um, so the body's good. But I have two nice bruises just underneath the sit bones. And that's that's going to, uh, I'll wait another day or two for those to heal before I sit in the bike again. And coming back to the question about doing it again, if you were to do it again, what would you do differently this time around? Um, see, that's the thing with endurance racing. You can never prepare for everyone I've done now. There's a different um how would you say it? There's there's a different mental strategy. There's a different, you know, there's almost like a different fight with everyone. Or uh, maybe fight isn't the, isn't the right word, but I'll call it fight. So basically, um, say one of the Joe Bars I done, right? Um, now, I had an awful um, time in my head, you know, thinking I had to basically eat the elephant in really small chunks that, that race. This time I didn't have to eat the elephant. I basically put him to bed straight away because I had to fight the weather. Do you know, and when you've one fight in your hand, one is enough. You don't need a second one. You know, you don't need to be saying to yourself, I'm not going to make this. I'm not. You, you, there's just no point trying to, to take that on board. You're just wasting more energy that you can be using for the bike. So, yeah, every one of them is completely different. Um, and that's, again, why I say, yeah, I would probably do it again. And are you completely hooked now on ultra cycling? Love it. Completely love it. Yeah. Like I say, it takes me those initial, you know, one or two days and, you know, you're tired and you, you get your sleep and the body's recovering and, you know, you're thinking. Okay, I've just done this and, you know, and more so maybe this one. Um, I didn't realise until kind of after I had it done that I have, I'm actually a world record holder. You know, that had to be kind of sort of drilled into me. And um, I'm supposed this is how I'm maybe finding it easier to talk about, you know, my story or my life that one of Martina said to me um, just before we left missing her, her last words to me were look back to 15 years ago and you know just see where you've come from and that was it you know and so when I look back and just think to you know what could have been and what is now you know it's just a different different world. And are you proud of everything that you've achieved to date? I am I can say that now I, I am proud yeah uh-huh um, I love my life now. Do you know, I love, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the season starting with the RWB girls again. I'm looking forward to getting back out on the road. Um, just, it is, it's just that whole new connection with people and, you know, just 
where life is to take you next like you know what what, what is next you know you've been given a second chance at life oh completely absolutely completely yeah. So aside from getting back on Zwift and getting back out on the road and maybe getting back on your bike, maybe tomorrow or Saturday, <laughs> um, what is the next big challenge that you're going to do or have you decided yet? I haven't decided yet. No, I haven't. Um, I have a few in, in, in floating around, but um, haven't haven't taken any small. Um, just get back into training and you know for me if you know it's it's a kind of an ongoing process now for me I look at it like you know if I'm not on the bike I'm not fueling properly I'm not looking after my body properly I think at this stage now what what I've been given and where I've come at least my body deserves that much like you know I deserve to give myself that much so yeah just looking for looking forward to the the season starting with the um the girls and the racing league and RWB and you know and I absolutely hate those sprints but <laughs> yeah uh, I, I love the crack I love the girls you know uh, just the way my brain worked the wee avatars like you know two years ago I didn't even think they were real people <laughs> and just a whole new world again yeah, yeah. Um, well Patricia thank you so much for sharing your story with me and um, as I mentioned before we came on air I had no idea of your background and your life story when I contacted you to chat on the podcast I literally just wanted to talk about cycling and your adventures and so thank you so much for being so open and honest and brave I suppose is the word that I want to use and I wish you every success for the future thank you thank you for having me thanks for tuning in I hope you enjoyed this episode you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com you can follow all of our activities and podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Pop by and say hi and let me know what you think of the show. If you're new to Try Talking Sport, please do check out some of our previous episodes. You will be both impressed and inspired by our guests. Finally, be sure to sign up to our e-zine featuring articles of interest, some great discounts and the inside track on supporting your triathlon and endurance sport journey, wherever it may take you. Sign up on www.trytalkingsport.com. It takes 30 seconds and I promise I won't bombard your inbox with emails. Just the important stuff. Until next time, stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day.